Welcome to the Directions Mag podcast. We're honored to bring you this valuable resource back to you as we celebrate our 20th year in the geospatial community. Read more at directionsmag.com. Abby is with us today. She is the founder and CEO of Dart Drones. Uh, Some of you may have even caught her on Shark Tank. Uh, And she's going to give us uh, the... 10,000 foot view, so to speak, of how do we get started with drones and uh, some of the things we need to be thinking about. Abby, welcome. We're glad to have you with us today. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me today in the session 10 Steps to Getting Started with Drones. Um, I am Abby Spiker, and I'm the CEO and co founder of Dart Drones. And we are a national uh, drone training school offering classes in over 40 cities. And our classes are on Um, Part 107 and how to pass that exam, learning to fly right when you're getting started, and then mission-specific training about aerial mapping and modeling, aerial roof inspection, search and rescue. We train a ton of police and fire departments um, and a lot of enterprise clients. Um, So thank you very much, and I'll get started with talking about the industry, which I'm sure is why many of you have joined the webinar today, is that you're excited about the industry. And drones are changing dozens of industries and providing faster, cheaper, and safer ways to complete jobs and tasks. And we always hear about this industry that's going to explode and people are so excited and they can't wait to sort of reap the benefits of the drone industry. And a lot of that comes from all these different reports coming out about how drones are going to have an enormous economic impact on multiple industries, jobs, states, and it's it's going to be huge. And there's just endless potential for drones. Every day I hear of a new use case for drones and it really is an exciting, exploding industry. So it can feel a little bit daunting trying to figure out how to get started with drones and how to implement it either in your company or to become a commercial drone pilot. Um, So I've sort of broken down some of the big steps that you need to consider as you get started and hope that this helps you start thinking about what you need in order to get started. So the first thing to think about is the FAA drone regulations. Um, So back in 2016, the FAA came out with this new Part 107 remote pilot certificate, which means that you can legally become a commercial drone pilot by passing an exam that's offered by the FAA. Um, So this exam is computer-based and it's taken at one of 690 FAA testing centers that are all over the country. And you pretty much go in, you're ready for the exam, you've studied, and you you get two hours to answer 60 multiple choice questions. Um, And we found that most of our students are studying between 15 to 20 hours on average for this exam. Um, And it isn't something that you could just pass off the street, but if you do study the right way, um, we're confident that you'll pass this exam. So that's something that, that once you're committed to it, you just spend some time study and then you could become a remote pilot or a remote pilot. Um, So once you have your remote pilot certificate, there are some limitations that, that you have to stick to, um, like you have to fly during the day, you can't fly over people, um, you have to fly in specific airspace. And from there, what, what's important to think about is that the FAA is working on coming up with new ways for you to be able to be approved to, to do some more with your remote pilot. So that's called FAA waivers. So a lot of people are applying, for example, for a night operations waiver where they submit something to the FAA and then they're accepted to fly at night. So now they're able to do daytime and nighttime operations. Um, The FAA is also um, pushing out this new system called Lance, which um, in the past, if you wanted to fly 
near an airport and you, you would have to go through this big process to get approved by the FAA and it took a long time for you to fly near that airport. Now with Lance, you're getting this automatic approval system, um, which is going to be great for the industry and really open up where people can fly. Um, so that's just another big thing that the FAA is working on. And surprisingly, the FAA is working very fast, um, especially for a government agency. They're making a lot of big moves quickly. Um, so expect to see regulation changes, um, honestly, monthly. There's different stuff coming out every month. Um, the next thing to think about is what equipment is right for you. And I list out three types of equipment here, but honestly, there, the answer is there is just dozens and dozens and dozens of options. Um, one of the really big players is DJI, who is based out of China, and they are just crushing the commercial drone market. They have 70% market share right now. They have tons of different platforms. Almost every drone you see when you see a drone on TV is a DJI drone, um, but they're, they're doing really well, and they have, sort of like Apple, they have a ton of different products and then a ton of different versions. So um, when you're checking it out, just overall, the thing to think about is um, deciding if you want to do the latest and greatest version and maybe do a smaller one from DJI, or if you want to upgrade a little bit and do a bigger one, but maybe it's um, an older version. So there's just tons of options. So something to be aware of, and if you ever want to talk to someone on our team about what's right for you, um, our team would be happy to talk to you about that. Um, in general, most of the drones, the commercial drones, are getting around 30 minutes of flight time per battery. So a big thing to think about um, is also how you're going to use your drone and what's going to be right for you and your team um, for your use case, because there is definitely a correct answer once you know your use case. The other thing that you would start thinking about would be which payloads you would put on your drones. So if you're flying, um, if you plan to fly uh, and get get great pictures and you want to put a very expensive high zoom camera on your drone, you would need probably a bigger drone with more battery capacity to be able to carry that heavy camera. A lot of people are putting thermal cameras on their drones, LiDAR, multispectral cameras, um, and as you start adding these more uh, sophisticated payloads, you definitely need to think about making sure that you have a sophisticated heavier duty drone that can carry those. Um, so the next really big thing to think about is your budget. So a lot of people think that just the drone is what their, their budget is for their drone, but there's a lot of other things that you have to think about with getting started. So for example, if you wanted to buy a drone that would be, give you the ability to fly for an entire morning um, without having access to um, power, you might use five to six batteries, and the batteries might cost $150 to $200 each. So there, unexpectedly, you're spending $1,200 on batteries that you didn't expect. Um, so it's something that you have to think about how you'll be using it and what kind of accessories you're going to need to go along with it, as well as um, insurance is important. So we'll talk about that later, but um, insurance does get um, expensive and something that you definitely want to keep in mind. Even on a $700 drone, it's something that you should definitely think about. Uh, and then also consider your training fees. So to take the Part 107 exam, it's $150 paid um, to the FAA testing center. Um, but beyond that, most people need a study program. Um, so usually a study program, an online one is around $250. An in-person one is between $600 and $700. Um, so that's something to think about, as well as platform-specific training. 
So you don't want to just buy your drone. We hear every day of people getting their drone out of the box and crashing it the first day. Um, so you definitely don't want to do that. And you also want to think about how you'll be using your drone. Because once you get out of just flying in a parking lot, there is a lot of other hazards and things that you have to think about in terms of becoming an expert at, at whatever mission you're planning on flying. Um, a big piece that we talk about with our clients is um, getting their programs up and running. So if you're working on building a program within your company, there's just a lot of different things you have to think about. Um, we oftentimes are talking to their legal team, we're talking to all the different stakeholders who are trying to answer all these questions that they never even knew they had because they're building these drone programs um, from scratch. Like they've never had a program like this before and they're trying to figure it out and every question leads to 10 more questions. And it's just something that you want to get started now if you plan on launching this program even within the next year. There's just a lot of different questions and scenarios that come up that um, people are worried about and they're tr trying to find solutions for, which they're right to do. And it's just something that takes a while. So think about the internal and external barriers of, for your company and how it's going to affect how your customers see you, how um, the stakeholders see you, how your legal department has to behave. Um, and it, it, is, it does make a big difference in your company. So something to think about. In terms of legal considerations, there's just a lot going on. A lot of our clients are really, really worried about liability, which they definitely should be worried about that. Um, these are flying computers, things go wrong, things happen that you don't expect, um, and you just have to be ready and prepared and really confident in your pilots that you trust them, you know that what you, um, your, their training is solid and that you really trust them to be out there flying under your name. Um, but another big piece is that the state and local governments, although the FAA is the authority of the airspace, um, there are a lot of state and local governments creating laws and regulations that are limiting um, to drones. And although they can't control really where you can fly, they can stop you from taking off. Um, they can stop you from doing a lot of like different things that it confuses people in terms of what the regulations are. Um, and the jury sort of still out in terms of what the state and local governments have authority to um, enact in terms of their local drone laws. Um, but it's leaving our, some of our national clients really confused. They, they don't know how to get final answers for their um, pilots. And it's something that you should definitely start thinking about and looking into as you get started. Um, okay, so we're back to drone insurance. So the issue with drone insurance is that although your company may have or definitely has liability insurance, you need to have uh, aviation insurance on top of that. So, um, for example, you would have liability insurance for your drone. So if you did crash into a car, you crashed into a person, um, you would be covered with liability insurance. There's also hull insurance. So if you crash your drone, it would replace your drone if you paid for hull insurance. Um, so there's a lot of different insurance out there, insurance options out there. Um, we love Global Aerospace. They offer annual policies. So um, you usually could expect to pay, let's say, on a $1,000 Phantom and it's your one drone, maybe between like $1,000 and $1,200 for a year-long policy. Um, and then Global Aerospace is also partnered with Verifly, um, which is this really cool app. Um, it's an on-demand ins drone insurance app. So you um, use Verifly and you say, I'm going to be flying here for one hour and I'm going to do, a, I don't know, two, 
two mile radius and you could put all these different um, scenarios into Verify and then it gives you a price which is usually around $10 an hour which is great for someone getting started that doesn't want to pay the big upfront fee um, and it just gives you insurance right then and there when you need it. It's also great if you have a um, client who says I need $2 million in liability insurance and if your, your annual policy only had $1 million you could upgrade on Verify in um, seconds and just show your client your policy then. So uh, drone insurance does get a little bit complicated when you have more pilots and um, you're trying to add more drones and you have expensive thermal cameras that you're trying to get whole insurance on. So it can get pretty pricey and it's something that you want to think about, but definitely something that you want to have. Um, the next big piece to really think about is the resources that you're going to need to be an educated, smart drone pilot. Um, and something that we've been working on with most of our big clients is um, an SOP, so a Standard Operating Procedures Manual. And what we do with this SOP is we talk through with every stakeholder that's involved in their drone program, their pilots, any aviators that are on their team, um, their legal team, and really what they're doing is just deciding how and how, what are they, what are they comfortable with? How close do they want to let someone fly near a house? Um, how high of weather do they want to let someone fly? How high of wind? Um, so they're asking, we're asking them all these questions of like pretty much how far do you want to push the limits? Um, and really that's something as a company that you need to decide if you're going to have people flying for you, you need to think about what are our limits and like we need to hand this handbook essentially to all of our pilots to make sure that they are really comfortable in what they're supposed to do when an emergency happens who they're supposed to call who's supposed to be notified um, because it's different for every company you might want to call the legal team right away you might want to call the program manager there's just a lot of different options out there and it's um, something that we're helping a lot of our clients talk through and make decisions about um, based on their specific situation. So even as an individual, this is a really healthy exercise to go through and start thinking through what are you comfortable with so you don't find yourself um, in a bad situation and then you're kicking yourself later saying, you know what, I should have I should have known that that was not smart to do that. Um, so that's a big piece to start thinking about and sort of figuring out what you are comfortable with. Um, and then also to start thinking about your drone pilot crews. So some of our clients are training, uh, or over the next few years, plan to train hundreds of people. Um, and it can get really complicated. Um, some of them are using visual observers or multiple visual observers so that they could fly further away from the remote pilot. Um, and it gets complicated because most of these people do not have aviation backgrounds and they're trying to tell each other that the drone is getting closer to the tower, but they, they're using different language and different wording, and it can get really complicated. Um, if some person would say, say it in one way and the pilot doesn't see it that way and it doesn't go through the radio the right way. Um, so there's just a lot that goes into having a bigger crew um, and making sure that you have this chief pilot within your crew. Um, so a chief pilot, is, is usually the one person who's responsible for the drones, responsible for safety, responsible for software updates. And that person then makes sure that their crew is all um, at the right level and they're talking to each other the right way and they're handling everything the right way. Um, so it's important if you're planning on having more than even two pilots to start to identify this and start to talk through how your team's going to work together and who you're going to need. Um, and then how are they all going to be trained in the same way? And even if you're doing this on your own, you are the chief pilot. So now you're responsible for maintenance, software updates. You're responsible for all the firmware updates. And you really have to be the one that takes that on. 
Um, so when you're building a program, we've noticed that a lot of our uh, clients sort of break into two paths. Uh, one group is really focused on creating the perfect drone program in writing. And then with that drone program, they um, say go and they buy everything and they train everybody and they do it perfectly. Um, other people are deciding to just sort of start to get their feet wet and maybe purchase one drone, maybe train one pilot. Okay, now let's train eight pilots. Okay, now let's buy a second drone and they slowly get into it. Um, so there isn't a right or a wrong answer. Um, it's just something to think about how your company is likely to do this. Are they going to have a book that says this is how we're doing drones for the next five years and then they're going to stick to the book or are they going to um, just sort of let it be a little wishy-washy as they start? And either is fine, but that's that's what we've noticed is people sort of fall into two camps right there. Um, and then the last big thing to think about is drone training. And we are a drone training company, but a lot of people ask us, oh, like, isn't it so easy to fly a drone? And the answer is yes, of course. Like if you just are techie and you're okay to go set it up and fly in a, a parking lot by yourself, like, yes, that is something that you can do. Um, but what we're very much training our clients on is less about flying for the first time and much more about um, setting up their administrative side and setting their policies and, and knowing the regulations and how the regulations will change in the future and how that will change uh, their programs in the future. And then how their mission specific training. So like night operations, you have to be trained um, in order to get your night operations flavor. Um, there's different payloads that are very expensive. So flying a $900 drone in the backyard is like, totally fine and something that um, we've all done, but going out and flying a $20,000 drone with a $10,000 FLIR camera on it now becomes a lot more serious. And that's where training becomes really, really important and making sure you know exactly what you're doing because the stakes are much higher. Um, we believe that all pilots need to be trained on emergency procedures, understanding if they lose um, their link, if their video display fails, if they lose GPS, how do you respond, what do you do, and that's what our classes go through. And then um, a huge piece of our training is scenario-based, so um, we're training people in broadcast medium, we're saying if you had um, a helicopter crash a mile up the road and this is a scenario, how exactly are you going to fulfill um, getting images of it or how are you going to um, are you going to say no we're not flying today so putting people in the actual scenarios that they'll be in with a lot of stress behind it um, so don't disregard drone training there's a lot more than just that first flight that you could be trained on um, that is very important um, so thank you very much I usually do one hour but it could honestly be like four hours there's just so much to talk about um, so I hope that wasn't too short